you back here tonight for another evening of worship and a time of Bible study. If you've got your Bible, you might have in, you want to open it maybe to Galatians chapter 6, and that'll be kind of the first scripture that we make our way to here in just a few moments. Uh, that last song that Bradley led, it does have important meaning, and one of the key words in that song, especially related to what we want to talk about tonight, is the idea of all. When we all get to heaven. Uh, We've been doing some lessons on Sunday evenings under the umbrella of congregational health. What can we do to be more healthy as a church family? Are there things that that we can think about and things that we can study? And, uh, And actually, if you remember a week ago, it just got louder, on Sunday morning... Uh, we talked about uh, the idea of, of, of what does God want. And we were reminded that, that God wants, a patient God wants everyone to come to repentance. And we talked about the idea that, that God wants each one of us to follow Jesus, to follow Him. No matter what's going on with anybody else, God wants me to follow. And then we spent a lot of time in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through 14. We kind of launched our study off of that. You know, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. God wants all of us to be in heaven, doesn't want anyone to fall away. And His plan is that we encourage one another, that we help one another, that we help one another go to heaven. And so tonight might be a bit of a part two to what we were doing last Sunday morning and what we've done on several of these Sunday nights, but seven reasons that active people will sometimes quit church. And again, the big idea that we used last Sunday morning still applies. The idea that as family, each and every one of us, we all have this important role in trying to create the kind of family where we're actively helping each other go to heaven. Now, thankfully... What we're going to talk about is not something that happens every day. It's not something that happens every week, but there are times where we'll lose an active member. Tonight's material, the list that we're going to study, that we've kind of taken a list and, and, and made into a lesson, comes from a list that Tom Rainer published. Now, Rainer looks at, a, at, at what we would call the broader religious spectrum, but when I started looking at the seven reasons that he listed why people quit church, they're reasons that apply to us and things that I think that we can be focused on. Um, now, why this lesson? as we think about congregational health. I think the reason is awareness. If we see somebody in one of the situations that we're going to talk about tonight, we ought to be very alert. We ought to be very alert understanding that if somebody's going through one of these things that we're talking about tonight, they are high risk for potentially walking away. The other thing that I think is important about this list that we'll look at It kind of reiterates the idea that our shepherds, they've got responsibilities and they have a role in taking care of us as sheep, but we're talking about things that that all of us have a role in. It can't just be them. The other important aspect of awareness is the idea that, hey, if I find myself, if I'm in the mirror and I'm looking at my life and I find myself dealing with one of these things that we're noticing, then I need to be aware that I'm at risk, potentially, for walking away. As the plan for this lesson, it's not only to talk about what the research shows, but then also to maybe look at some solutions, some preventions that will help us when we find people dealing with the things that we're going to talk about 
tonight. So number one, as we get into this, and this was the top of Rainer's list, the number one reason that active Christians, active people will quit church is moral failure. The idea something has happened in their lives, most often uh, it's a sexual affair, it could be a divorce situation, it could be some other kind of moral failure, but it's the kind of thing where it happens, it becomes known, it brings reproach upon the church... This is David and Bathsheba type things. This is 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul leads off and he says, you know, there's, it's actually reported that there's immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind that's not even reported among the Gentiles. The scenario is this. Something happens, and whatever it is, at a time when I need God more than I've ever needed God in my life, I'm so overwhelmed and I'm so embarrassed by what I've done, instead of returning, instead of coming back to God, I leave. Now in Galatians chapter 6, we're going to find a verse there, a couple of verses, but the verse there, verse 1, is very key in this. The Bible says, brethren... Even if anyone, so that, that's any, uh, anyone who's a brother, is caught in any trespass, and so he doesn't leave any trespasses out. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. A couple of key words in that verse. One of the key words is restore. And if we ever start thinking about restoring someone who's caught, and, and when we're not talking about caught in a trespass, we're not talking like, oh, he got found out. We're talking, some translations say there may be overtaken. In other words, something has tripped me up. I've stumbled. I've fallen. I'm overtaken in a trespass. I'm caught in a trespass. When we think restoration, we need to try to think process and not just a one-time action. Restoration tends to be a, a process. And so we need to try to think that way. The other key word in that verse is the word gentleness. And one of the things that maybe can help us in the gentleness area is, is being mirror people through the process. In fact, the verse points to the idea of the need to be a mirror person instead of a window person when the verse says, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. In other words, it, it might be tempting to be harsh with this person who has stumbled and I can't believe this has happened and I can't believe you fell into this. But by going to the mirror and realizing that, hey, it could have been me then that ought to help me in being more gentle in a process of restor restoration. The goal should always be a redemptive process. The goal should always be restoration and not leaving. This particular one, we'll probably drill down on it a little bit more than maybe some of the others tonight, but, but there are several aspects to this. Sometimes when there's been a moral failure, sometimes our response tends to be a bit unbiblical. And it's, it's not because we intend to be, it's because we're still human. Um, obviously, the situation may be awkward. It may be uncomfortable. And those words are very descriptive of how things often are after there's been uh, maybe some kind of moral failure. 
But sometimes, instead of engaging in a redemptive process, and maybe we don't do it on purpose, but sometimes maybe we cut the person off. Even when there's been confession and repentance. Well, now there's a divide. Now this person, they're kind of separated from us in some way. Um, Sometimes we're tempted to be very judgmental. And and again, it's part of being human. I, I can't believe this happened. That's why we're called to be mirror people through the process. Sometimes we may seem to convey the idea that that God may have forgiven, but reconciliation and restoration, well, hey, that's going to take a while. We kind of put up a wall. Maybe we're kind of distant. Maybe we're kind of cold. And and again, none of those reactions look like Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. On the other hand, and maybe you've seen this occur, Sometimes, on the other hand, sometimes our response isn't overreaction. Uh, Sometimes when there's been moral failure, uh, there is the potential for our response to be underreaction or non-reaction. And again, that's really not biblical either. See, when we talk about Galatians 6.1 and restore such a one, if restoration's needed, that, that... it's telling me by stating that restoration is needed, the relationship has been broken. Something's not right. And because of that, non-responsiveness is not biblical. But unfortunately, if I ignore moral failure, that's really what I'm doing. I'm, I'm being non-responsive. I'll try to illustrate this way. I know we've got Ole Miss in the room, and I know we've got Alabama in the room. Do do we have any Florida State fans in the room tonight? That's how I'm going to illustrate this, if that's all right. You remember about a year ago, Jameis Winston goes into a grocery store, goes into a Publix down in Florida, and he walks out on camera with food that he does not pay for. For purposes of our illustration, I want you to imagine that that he happens to be a member of this congregation. So we see that happen during the week. And then let's say he shows up in church on Sunday acting like nothing's happened. What do we do? Do we just ignore the fact that he just made the news by doing something that was illegal? Or... You know, because if he shows up in church, there might be this tendency to say, well, hey, at least he's here. And see, what I'm doing, at least he's here. What I'm kind of hoping is going to happen is that someone else will step in and have that awkward conversation with him. Or that maybe just the right sermon will be preached on that day that will get him to the front row, will get him to confess, and will get him to make right. And the problem is... We can hope for the best, but restoration hasn't yet occurred. And until that tough, difficult, awkward conversation does occur, things are not going to be right. Because what we want to have happen, see, somebody in town is going to say, well, that guy that was on TV, doesn't that guy go to church with you? And what we want to be able to say is, he messed up. But guess what? He confessed that, and he repented, and he's trying to get his life back on track. See, we, need, we want to be able to stand up for each other when there's been a failure. But if we ignore it, we can't, we can't make those statements. And so, ignoring a problem isn't Galatians 6.1. What are some solutions? 
church leadership needs to be as prepared as possible. And I don't know exactly what that's going to mean in, in every case, but, but leadership needs to be as prepared as possible, thinking through and studying, okay, when somebody falls, what does a redemptive process look like? Forgiveness is immediate, but, but restoration... Uh, I'll illustrate this way. There was a congregation where a leader had a moral failure... And he confessed it, and he repented, and he immediately wanted to be right back in a leadership role doing all the things that he'd done. But, but the people were... There wasn't a trust factor yet for that. He was, they needed a process of restoration. And the shepherds weren't really prepared for that. One of the shepherds was related to the guy that had the moral failure. And the congregation was very uneasy. Another uh, situation happened down in Florida. A lady, member of the church, active in the church, uh, meets a guy on the internet, leaves husband and children behind, heads off to Texas, and so she's gone. And so the shepherds start discussing, what are we going to do about this? Well, one of the shepherds thinks, well, hey, we, we ought to formally disfellowship this lady. One of the other shepherds is saying, well, hey, she's already removed herself from fellowship. She's gone. Why would we do that? And then a third one is saying, well, and the third one is saying the same thing the jilted husband is saying. The third shepherd's saying, you know, maybe we don't, we shouldn't do anything. We don't want to drive her further away. Well, she's in Florida and now in tech. How do you drive her further away? You know, I don't know. But again, if we haven't thought ahead, if we haven't tried to prepare, we may get caught off guard. Other solutions, we need biblical teaching and preaching, especially in the area of strong families. We need golden rule type thinking. In other words, golden rule thinking may help me in those awkward moments. Nobody likes to have an awkward conversation. But if I'll think in terms of how would I want to be treated if this was me, that may help all of us if we have to have one of those awkward conversations. And then we also need to remember what's at risk. And remember the goal is always restoration, always a redemptive process. So we spent a few minutes there and we'll go more quickly through these other ones. Number two, second reason that was listed for why active people sometimes drop out of church is this idea that they'll drop out of a group or drop out of a ministry. A, a Bible class is a group. Uh, the folks that meet once a week and eat breakfast together, that's a group. The, the group that, that, that plan and take trips together, that's a group. And the idea is, if somebody's active in my group and suddenly they're not in my Bible class, or suddenly they're not at breakfast, or suddenly they're not making those trips anymore, radar needs to go up because, hey, there may be something going on. There may be a ministry opportunity. Maybe there's a sickness. Maybe this person who's been very active, maybe they've had something thrown on their plate where they're trying to minister to somebody else. And you know, maybe, they actually, maybe there's an opportunity for us as brothers and sisters to minister. In Galatians 6, the very next verse, after verse 1, says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. We who are male have a weakness. And we see it as a strength, but it's actually a weakness sometimes. We are very, very hesitant to ask for help. You ever notice that? Especially those of us who are male. We'll be going through something and we could use some help, but we don't want to ask. 
And so if somebody's dropped out of a ministry or dropped out of a group, there may be something going on where they actually could use some assistance. And so our radar needs to be up. We don't need to let them get so overburdened and so overwhelmed uh, that they disappear. Um, Casual attenders or people who just attend, they're very at risk for dropping out because they're really not active in other ministries. They're probably not plugged into groups. But the unfortunate progression may often be a group participant becomes a worship-only person and then they're out. And once they're out, then we're back to awkward in having those conversations. And we always want to try to have the conversations before we get to awkward. Prevention. Uh, obviously, and most churches do this, quality record keeping. We need to know who's around. But, but when it's a group, it's easy to know if your friend isn't at breakfast, right? So just paying attention, awareness, checking on people. When we call and check on somebody, it does three things. Checking on somebody says, number one, hey, you're, you're accountable. In other words, if you're not around, we miss you. And, and there's something value about accountability. Number two, it says we missed you. You may not have been at breakfast today and breakfast wasn't the same because you weren't there. And then number three, it says you're important to this group. And so, better to have three people check up on somebody than nobody. In other words, we're checking on people before uh, it gets awkward. And again, through checking, we may find that there's something that's preventing them from being active. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they got a family member that they're taking care of. Maybe there's a financial issue. It could be just about anything, but it may well be a ministry opportunity for the group and even for the church. Number three uh, on the list of why people often will quit church is burnout. Um, The person who we can't get to take a break may be at risk. The person who seemingly never gets tired and we can't get them to rest. And the more involved we become, the other thing that happens, and this happens with any kind of organization, the more involved you are in an organization, the more active you are in participating in an organization, the more apt you are to see the underbelly of the organization. In other words, we're imperfect people. We're part of a perfect church, but we're imperfect people. And so the more active we are in the church, the more apt we are to see that there are problems and there are, there are troubles and not everything's always smooth. And, and so sometimes as people begin to see the underbelly of whatever the organization is, church included, uh, it may disillusion them a little bit. And one sign of burnout is when somebody gets very disillusioned. They've been very active, but then suddenly everything's negative and everything's doom and gloom and everything that's going on, they've got a problem with. That could be, it, it may not be a bad attitude on their part. They may be about to be going through burnout. And we need to be aware of that. Um, sometimes people feel underappreciated. And if we sense somebody that's feeling underappreciated and that's not normal for them, that ought to be a red flag. This person may be about to go through burnout. And I love Matthew chapter 6, those first four verses, because it's this reminder that if we're ever tempted to begin to feel like, hey, I'm, I'm active and I'm not being appreciated for what I'm doing, Jesus sets the record straight. 
He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward uh, with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We will never be underappreciated by God the Father. And so if I'm ever tempted to be in that mode of, wow, nobody's paying attention, well, don't let that burn me out. Let me be reminded what Jesus said about God always sees and God always knows. Preachers are at risk for this kind of thing. Sometimes you'll talk to a preacher and he'll say something like, well, I I preach and I preach and I preach and I just don't seem to see life change in the church. And so sometimes preachers burn out. And what they don't realize is that there are good things happening in the church. But they kind of get blinded. Activity-driven churches are at risk for burnout. Jesus, over and over and over, He made time for His inner circle to rest. Over and over, He made time for His inner circle to recreate, which is actually probably a better way to say the word. And so, if it was important to Jesus, and if it was important to those who were His inner circle, finding time for that busy, busy Christian to rest, we need to help people understand and have an idea that, hey, it's okay to rest when you need to rest. Number four tonight, A traumatic event. In other words, somebody goes through a painful loss. They're deeply grieving over something. And people who are deeply grieving... Now, what we're not talking about, we're not talking about Uncle Harold passes away at 95 years of age after living a full life. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the person who loses somebody way too soon. Or... It's almost like they're in a fight and they're taking body blows because they've lost this person and about the time they're trying to get over that, then they lose somebody else and they've lost somebody else. And it's like they're, they're staggering through this fight because they, the blows just keep on coming. Wouldn't it be great if all of us, in the face of that kind of adversity, when we have a traumatic loss... If we could react like David did. And I think David's reaction's almost, you know, it's beyond the way most any of us could react. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we've talked about his reaction after the sin with Bathsheba, the child's born, and God says, because of what you did, I'm taking the child. And so David pleads for the child, and he's, 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 he's not eating, and he's, he's on the ground, and he's praying, and he's, nobody wants to go near David because David is, he's trying to get God's attention. But the child dies. And when David figures out the child's dead, David gets up, he washes himself, he eats, he worships. And the people are like, well, man, what's going on here? And he says, well, you know, I thought, well, the child was alive. Maybe God would hear me and maybe God would grant the child's life. But now that the child's gone, I can't bring the child back. I can go to the child. But, well, see, that's, that's almost not normal. Most of us are going to grieve in a, in, a, in, a, in a very normal way. 
And see, a traumatic event creates a crossroads in life. If a person goes through a deep loss, it, at the crossroads, they, they'll either turn more closely to God or they may be tempted to blame God and turn away from God. And the question for us as family is, okay, what do we do in those moments? How can we best help somebody who's going through a traumatic loss? And, you know, do, do we have a plan for making sure that people are appropriately taken care of in those moments? It's, what a blessing that the church here offers counseling. And that's, sometimes that's what's needed. It's interesting, though, sometimes we don't... You know, if my arm hurts, I'll have the doctor look at my arm. If my leg hurts, I'll have the doctor look at my leg. You know, we'll have ourselves checked out, but sometimes the brain is the last thing we're willing to admit. Maybe needs to be checked out. But sometimes sitting down with somebody who's trained to help with this kind of thing can be just the blessing that the person needs. The other thing that was eye-opening to me in this was the idea that the research shows that what will happen is if there's a traumatic loss, there will be this flurry of activity where we're there and we're helping and we're helping this person get through this and the flurry of activity is immediate, but then it kind of goes away. It tapers off. But that person who's going through the valley, their need for us to be there, it doesn't immediately taper off. And so what we've got to try to remember is that, hey... A month down the road, that person still needs attention. And two months down the road, that person still needs attention. And it may be six months down the road, and that person may still need some special attention. We've got to get past just the flurry of activity in the moment and take care of them long term. We need to get past not knowing what to say. I appreciated what Adam said in class a week or two ago as he was talking about over the years he's learned that often just being there is so important. You, you don't have to have the right thing to say. You don't have to know exactly the right words. The idea that you've shown up is huge. The other thing we need to think about is the idea that if I look in the mirror and I realize that I've suffered a traumatic loss of my own, um, I may be at risk. The other thing, though, if I've suffered a traumatic loss of my own and I've navigated through it successfully, I may be well positioned to minister to people because I've, and I'm tired of the phrase, been there and done that, but it communicates. If I've gone through that, I may be in a better position to help somebody else as they go through that. And so we can turn something bad in our lives maybe into the experience we need to minister more effectively to someone else. Maybe that keeps them from leaving the church. We can't assume that someone else is doing everything that needs to be done. It's much better for the hurting person to get two meals than to get no meals, if that makes any sense. Bottom line is that the radar needs to be up when a brother or sister suffers a traumatic event. And again, it's Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill, you know, show each other. This is, this is how we show that we love one another. This is the traumatic event. Number five is major interpersonal conflict. That's going to happen as long as humans interact. We're all part of blood families and we have sometimes interpersonal conflict within our families because 
if there's four people in the family, sometimes there are four ideas about what we want to do or what we're going to, you know, and not everybody's going to get their way every time. So there's, there's always going to be some conflict. And so the question is, you know, how do we deal with that? Now, the conflict, it may be a difference of opinion. It may be a difference of perspective. And that's not always in and of itself unhealthy. Sometimes the discussion brings us to a better solution. But sometimes we bow up and sometimes we lock in and sometimes we don't, we're not really focused on a great solution. We're focused on wanting our way. And when that happens, major interpersonal conflict can be one of those things that drives people out of church. If I'm in conflict... Step one is to realize that both me and the other person, we're both at risk. Again, that's part of being in the mirror. Do we have a plan for dealing with conflict? It, it might be worth having leaders at time trained in, in conflict management. One great question to ask if I ever find myself in conflict is to ask this question, am I being selfish? We alluded in our lesson this morning in 3 John to a guy named Diotrephes. And I want to read a few of the verses that John pins about this guy. And as I read these verses, I want you to be asking, the question we ask ourselves is, okay, what if Diotrephes had gone to the mirror and asked the question, am I being selfish? What might have been different? Verse 9, 3 John. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who do so to, uh, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. John says, this guy, he's doing evil stuff. Well, what if that guy had gone to the mirror and asked the question, am I being selfish? What might have changed? I love Romans 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Surely that includes my brothers and sisters. We talked about someone dropping out of a group and that putting them at risk. Sometimes we may not realize it in the moment, but sometimes interpersonal conflict may have been going on within that group and maybe that's why they dropped out of the group in the first place. Along with this, even if people involved in interpersonal conflict don't quit the church, here in the South where there are so many churches, we've got to figure out a better way, a better job of encouraging each other not to just run off to another church. Because usually that's the path of least resistance. Bradley and I have disagreed and the most painless thing to do is just to get away from Bradley. And if that's happened, I really haven't worked on my heart, probably. And heart change, the am I being selfish question, is the one that can lead us um, to heart change. Along with this, we've got to remember that, that interpersonal conflict, if I'm in that or we see people in one reason to get past that is because conflict suffocates outreach. In other words, if somebody looks in the window here and they see conflict, is that appealing to them? 
And I illustrate this way. I travel a lot. And as if I wheel off the interstate and I'm trying to get a bite to eat and continue on my way, if I see that there are three big school buses or tour buses or something like that already in the parking lot and I can see the people swinging from the rafters in the restaurant, I'm not going in there because there's chaos. And I'll go eat at a restaurant that I like less to avoid a restaurant that's overcrowded or where I can just see that it's out of control. When people look in, we want them to see the kind of place that will allow them to live out their Christian faith. Number six, gradual withdrawal. It's a lot like dropping out of a group. People today are attending church less. And and I think if you looked at your records here at Savannah. I know our records at home, when we look, say, at Sunday night attendance, it's down from what it was five years ago. It's down from what it was ten years ago. There's People are attending church less today. Millennials ask the question why. And if we don't do a great job of answering the question why, if we do a good job of answering the question why, a lot of times millennials buy in. That's, that's one of the ages. But, but a lot of times we assume, well, they know why. Well, we need to be ready to answer that question. But see, as we attend church less, we may be less active. I'm less involved in a smaller group. I'm less involved in a Bible class. And then I, I've, I've less involved myself to the point that I wake up one Sunday morning and I think, wow, I'm not in church anymore. I'm just gone. Happens gradually. It sometimes is very hard to, to detect. And again, it leads us back to those awkward conversations. In Hebrews chapter 10, we've used a passage to talk about attendance, and and I've heard preachers hammer away at attendance using Hebrews chapter 10. But what I don't always hear us do is use Hebrews chapter 10 to explain the why. Why do we need to be together? Why is gradual withdrawal a dangerous thing? Well, the Hebrew talks about this. In verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. So the idea is we need to hold on. We want to be faithful. So then he says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So hold on, be faithful. Well, how do you do that? We're going to help one another be loving. We're going to spur one another on to be involved in good things. And then he says, well, how do you do that? Well, you do that by not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. We don't assemble so that we can check off a list. We don't assemble. God has us assembled for our benefit, not His. There's a value in us being together, in us encouraging one another. The Hebrew writer explains the why. And so when somebody's gradually withdrawing, we've got to very, be very um, open to seeing that. And then finally, number seven, when people move away, um, and, and this isn't an internal, like if somebody leaves here, they're no longer going to be, if they moved to another state, they're no longer going to be a part of this church family. But when people leave, that is one of the most at-risk times for them to drop out of church. Why? Is because if they don't go to church in the city they move to, nobody's going to miss them. Nobody's going to expect them to be there. One of the things that I recommend or would love to see us do better is what I would call call call-ahead accountability. In other words, if I'm leaving Savannah and I'm moving to St. Louis, hopefully somebody from here, let's get on the phone with a Christian that we know in St. Louis and say, listen, 
Tom and Susie are moving to St. Louis. They're going to be in town next week. And, and I hope you will do something to reach out to them. Call ahead accountability. The other part of that is if somebody moves into Savannah and they do show up at church, do we do everything we can to get them involved and to make them feel welcome because they're in that mode of, hey, I was at a church where they knew me and I was at a church where they loved me and I was at a church where they would miss me if I wasn't there, but I've moved into town here. And so are we going to make sure we assimilate those people? And so those are the seven. As family, we each have an opportunity. We each have a responsibility. We each have an important role in helping to create this kind of strong Christian community where we're actively helping each other go to heaven. I'll leave you with a couple of challenges tonight as we, as we go. Number one, I need to go to the mirror. And I need to honestly ask myself, is there anything going on in my life right now that might put me at risk? for being out of church. Because as humans, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but we are great at self-deception. Moral failure, hey, yeah, she's my friend, but th- th- there's nothing inappropriate about our friendship. And dropping out of my group, I, I'm not, I know I missed a few breakfasts, I missed a few Bible class, but, but I'm dealing with some things. I can handle all of this. I really don't need any help. I'll be alright. Burnout. I don't need a break. I don't ever get tired. I'll never burn out. A traumatic event. I'm grieving in my own way. I'll be all right. That major interpersonal conflict, you know, it's not major. We don't really agree, but it's not serious. Gradual withdrawal, you know, I'm in church enough. I feel all right. Yes, we've moved. And we'll find a new church eventually. We've got to kind of settle in. You know, we're masters of self-deception. And so my first challenge for all of us is to go to the mirror. Is there anything in my life right now that puts me at risk? And then number two, my second challenge as we finish tonight is, after I've looked in the mirror, who can I find to encourage this week? Who's going through that traumatic event? Who's missed a couple of breakfasts? Who's missed a couple of Bible classes? Who, who can I just reach out to with a text and let them know that I missed them? Who can I offer some help to this week? And what, what if we all just offered one extra piece of help beyond what we maybe were going to? How much more would that do for our church family? So those are my two challenges tonight. As we finish, Bradley's going to lead us in a, 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 the song that he selected. I believe it was Created Me a Clean Heart. If your heart's not clean tonight, I'm, I'm always thankful that we sing a song of encouragement. If there's something that you need your church family to be praying with you and for you about, you can have that prayer tonight. If you're here tonight and your heart doesn't belong to Jesus yet, if you need to be baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins, you have that opportunity as well. If you have a need, let that be known while Bradley leads us, while we stand. Create.